Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard, it feels weird we didn't play last night, but uh, we didn't. The uh, Jaguars of Southern had to uh, make up a conference game. They actually do that in the SWAC. I don't know if we shouldn't do it in the SEC, but uh, nevertheless, we didn't play. The game was canceled, not postponed. It is not expected to be uh, you know, rescheduled for a later date. And uh, considering the RPI hit State would take even in a win, probably a smart decision. Nevertheless, there was a wild night of baseball in the Southeastern Conference. And we're going to talk about that in one of the earlier segments of the show. Uh, Bulldogs back in action this weekend at Auburn. And that's the thing. You know, it's like it's a huge series. Well, the last two have been huge series, and your Bulldogs have shown up. Auburn, the team that, uh, is struggling a little bit as well. Uh, we'll give you a full preview of Auburn on Friday. But it's not been a great year for Auburn. And uh, listen, the thing that I've learned about Butch is he tinkers and tinkers and tinkers, and then all of a sudden – Late in the year, they make a run. They get in the SEC tournament and uh, get in a regional somewhere. And then they pitch the daylights out of it. And they get it done. So, I expect uh, a very, 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 very competitive series. I do expect State to win the series. I think we're just a lot better offensively. But we'll see how things go. But, uh, again, a wild night in the SEC. Some surprising scores. And for a while there, it looked like just about everybody in the league was going to lose. Maybe it's a good thing Southern canceled, right? I, I tweeted that out. It's just, that's the thing. Like Some people would say, well, you know, college baseball, you know, the midweeks don't matter and there's all this kind of stuff like that. Uh, the reality of it is every game matters, especially when you're a team like us that's fighting to get into the tournament. I suspect the NCAA tournament uh, selection committee would be shocked to know that midweeks don't matter. Because I can promise you those teams that uh, we all play in a non-conference they're looking for an RPI boost themselves. Those midweek games matter an awful lot to them. So more times than not, you're going to get their best shot. Sometimes you get a Johnny Holstaff night, but uh, sometimes what happens is they come out there with the best of intentions, and there's some separation in the game. They're like, let's just get some work in here. But you better believe, you know, those mid-major teams, they get a chance in an SEC program in the midweek. It very much matters to them. And if you think a midweek doesn't matter, you lose one. How about that? See how that goes. Pretty crazy how it all works. And, uh, again, some teams last night that you're very familiar with that dropped midweek games to teams they probably shouldn't have. But that's college baseball, man. Every so often you run into a pitcher that's really hot. You run into a young guy maybe that says it's an opportunity for to win a job. Hey, I want to show Coach that we get in the postseason, he can count on me. I want to be a weekend guy next year. So if I can go out there and get these SEC teams on a Tuesday night, I'd be able to duplicate that next year. It's an important aspect of things. Again, and you go back to 2021, right? Go back to Notre Dame. We've had this discussion before. They canceled just about all their midweek games. And I think the committee did a wonderful job not rewarding them with a top eight national seed. You absolutely cannot set that precedent. Could you imagine? I mean, think about this for a second. What if LSU just decided, hey, we're not going to play any midweeks this year. We're going to save all of our pitching for the weekend. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to expend any energy in the midweek. We're not going to use any of our pitching. You think they'd win the SEC? I submit to you that they may win it anyway. But they would win the SEC easily, and they shouldn't be rewarded. I mean, there would be blood in the streets, man. 
if an SEC program, especially one, uh, you know, like, you know, State, Ole Miss, LSU, Vanderbilt, you know, somebody like that, if we used to set it arbitrarily, we're going to try to game the system here and not play any midweeks. You know, and uh, so silly. Everybody else in that conference in the ACC played midweeks, and Notre Dame wins a conference championship. And I appreciate the committee having the fortitude to say, you know what? We're not going to encourage this type of behavior. We're not going to encourage this type of scheduling, right? And then they had to come here and they got beat. They were a great team. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I appreciate the fact that the, uh, the committee did the right thing. They did. And then the, what do you know the next year? Notre Dame schedules correctly and uh, they end up doing some pretty incredible things last year. Say, great for them. And uh, great for Link Jarrett to uh, parlay that into, uh, you know, his dream job. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I have been there a lot lately. I have, and I've enjoyed it. The thing that I will always tell you is that I know once I get parked and I get down to Bulldog Burger Company, I know exactly what to expect. Exactly what to expect. I know the quality of service I'm going to get. I know the quality of the meal. Uh, the pricing is going to be in line with what it should be. As a matter of fact, I'm getting more than I pay for more times than not. I'm going to get that great restaurant-quality hamburger, and there's more of them to choose from. I told you that Mississippi barbecue burger, that's already one of my favorites. I've had it one time. I'm already thinking about the next time. When I go, that's what I'm going to get. And I got the onion rings. I know that I'm a weird guy. I cannot stand uncooked onions. I absolutely hate them. I despise them. I think they are of the devil. But I love onion rings, and I liked. I like the breading on the onion rings at Bulldog Burger Company. I don't use the dipping sauce. Maybe you do. But I, I just have such a great experience when I go. And uh, I, I got the, uh, the Shipley's bread pudding the other day. You can't beat it, man. It's one of the best places in the, in the country to go break bread with friends and family. A night out with friends, perhaps a business lunch. Or just a chance for you to reconnect with the kids, the wife, whatever. Bulldog Burger Company's got a place for you. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's get into this weird night in the SEC. All right, so Florida and FAMU played. Not really a wild game here, but probably you probably didn't expect the Rattlers to get 10 hits and hang seven runs on the Gators. They do. Florida wins 17-7 to in this ball game, and it was never really one that was endowed by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, yeah, pro- probably some people in connection with uh, Florida was a little bit interested in this score in the second inning as Florida led 3-2. to two. Then, of course, the Gators explode for eight there in the second and put this game away. It ended in seven. Uh, so, really, you know, it really wasn't much of a contest. But for a while there, you're looking at that scores, they pop up. You're like, what? what's going on in Gainesville? But they get it going. All right, one of the bigger upsets of the night, Mississippi State's opponent for next weekend, Tennessee, loses at home to Tennessee Tech. The Volunteers are now 23-14 and 5-10 and and in the SEC. Tennessee pitching allowed a dozen runs on 18 hits last night. Now, 
Tennessee Tech, you know, we have a uh, soft spot in our hearts for them because here a few years ago they went into Oxford and they, they won a regional. They, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they led the nation in home runs that year and just knocked all Miss pitching all over the place. I want to say they even won the, the regional finale with a position player pitching. But, guys, this was not a competitive ball game for much of the night. Tennessee Tech comes out and scores one in the first. Nobody scores in the second. They put up a four spot in the third, boys. It's a 5 nothing game in Knoxville. Tennessee responds with three in the bottom half. So, okay, we're good, we're good. Tennessee gets one in the fourth. They're down a run. And then you get into the sixth, and Tennessee Tech tacks on a couple more. And so all of a sudden you think, hey, is this going to happen? Surely not. Tennessee will find a way to get it going. Well, in the eighth, they score a run, and but they still trail seven. And then Tennessee Tech goes into the ninth and drops a five spot on Tennessee to win the game 12 to five. Incredible. Incredible. And, and, hey, and good for, good for the Golden Eagles, right? That's a huge win. And not just for the season, but for your program. That's what's amazing to me is you think about, hey, maybe you're not good enough to play at Tennessee. You're good enough to come play here. And then we'll go beat Tennessee. And the thing about this uh, Tennessee game, they treated it like a Johnny Holstaff game. And I don't know if you're in their, their position, you can afford to do that. But there were some guys that were just trying to get some work for. And um, oh, they got worked for sure. Holverson uh, gives it those five runs there in the ninth. But, uh, yeah, again, Johnny Holstaff night, and then you get beat at home. And if you don't think that's an RPI killer, you're kidding yourself. So huge loss for Tennessee. Again, this is a team that's nine games above 500. Double-digit losses in the SEC. And, you know, when, we, when the schedule first came out, we're like, you know what, if we're going to be lucky to go take a game up there. Let me remind you, Tennessee plays Vanderbilt this weekend. A series they will likely lose. And granted, Tennessee's got some dudes. You think you, you keep waiting and say at some point they're going to turn this thing around. And I hope they do two weeks from now, right? I think next Tuesday, two weeks from yesterday, after we've taken that series from them, hopefully, hope Tennessee gets it together and uh, they make a full recovery as a program. But I'm not the least bit uh, upset that they're struggling. And listen, you know, here's the thing, too. I, I'm a Tony Vitello fan in many respects. Tony is very much over the top by a lot of things. But Tony's an alpha. And here is the thing that I have learned about teams that are kind of recruited in that vein. They bark a lot. And if you bark back at them, they don't always have as much bite as they suggest. And I think that's what you're seeing now. All of a sudden, we've taken away the fur jackets. We've taken away all this swag and all these celebrations and all this silliness and all this Bush League stuff. And now you got to play baseball. And when you've recruited to this irrelevant, excuse me, irrational, and uh, this element, you know, where it's like uh, we're going to have this bravado, and then all of a sudden you can't get out there and do those things, then it's like, well, well, who are we? What's our identity? What's our culture? It's interesting. And remember, you know, Tony had a chance to get out here a couple years ago, didn't. Tennessee committed to him. And, again, Tony Vitello is a great coach. But the, the thing that I go back to 
at some point you got to play baseball. Tennessee lost some players from last year, obviously. But there's no excuse for this team to be struggling the way they are. I think that the weight of all of the nonsense, I think the new quote, Tennessee rules, you know, right? I think they feel like they've been targeted. They were embarrassed in this tampering situation with Kansas. Vitello was suspended. I think all those things, there has been, you know, kind of this cascading effect of negativity. I truly believe it's impacting them on the field. All right, Kentucky, 13-2 winners over Xavier. No real contest there. You know, Kentucky 29-7 now, 10-5 in the SEC. Um, half dozen more wins, they're in the hosting discussion. Four more wins, they're absolutely in the tournament. Four league wins, and uh, I feel confident they're going to get those. Again, a swing away from taking the series in Baton Rouge last week in Kentucky's better than people expected, except for me and maybe Nick Mugione. I like this team. Not that Xavier's expected to provide any competition there, but 13-2 winners over Xavier. Some big series ahead for the Wildcats. All right, Georgia, 20-17 overall, picked up a big win last night at Clemson. We don't play Georgia this year. I wish we did. We could use those SEC wins. But uh, big win for Scott Strickland and the crew last night. You know, not that Clemson is just uh, world beaters this year, but they're, they're a good, solid program, as you guys know. But quite the ball game here. It's uh, 2-2 after one. Clemson puts up a, a two-spot in the second. Georgia ties it in the third, and it takes a lead in the fourth and just cruises the rest of the way. Bullpen takes over, and uh, Clemson kind of powerless to do anything about it. And it wasn't just like one guy for Georgia. They mixed and matched a little bit down the stretch. Allow nine hits, four runs, strike out 11, walked us four. That dog will hunt. So, nice win uh, for Georgia. And they've got a big weekend coming up. And uh, I just, you know, with 11 losses and you already, you still got some incredible teams to play. I wonder a little bit about the Scott Strickland experience there at Georgia. I really do. It's been so up and down and it never really has been great. And, and I told you guys last year when I went and covered uh, – in Athens. I'd never covered college baseball in Athens. And I sat out there and I watched the uh, the game, obviously, and, and uh, they have the big sticker out there for their NAFL championship, their one NAFL championship. And I said then, that's not going to be us. That's not going to be us 30 years later still talking about one championship. So that's not going to be us. Whatever we have to do, that's not going to be us. That's unacceptable. And let's be honest about it, too. All due respect to Georgia, it was kind of fluky when they did win. And the fact that Georgia's not a national power, I think that's one of those things, maybe people at Georgia don't care. Maybe it's like, you know what, hey, we've got a very anemic basketball tradition, which is true. We have a dominant football tradition, which is true. Baseball's just kind of an afterthought. But Georgia is a baseball-crazy state. You would think somebody out there would have some vision for that. So, you know what, hey, there's no excuse for Georgia not to be great, not to mention you had the hope scholarship and all those kind of benefits out there. The reality of it is there's no excuse for Georgia to be a mediocre team, and more times than not, they are. You just wonder how committed they are to winning in baseball. Maybe they're okay with this. Maybe they are. I wouldn't be. I know you guys wouldn't be as well. 
But there's just no excuse for Georgia to be a mediocre program. Let me kind of frame it up for you just a little bit here. Georgia, the University of Georgia, has been to the NCAA tournament 15 times in their history. Let that sink in for a second, right? You didn't make – nobody went in 20, right? They didn't make the tournament 21. They made it last year. Probably not going to make it this year. And you, you go back, you know, Strickland's been there nine years now. It's pretty crazy. They went in 2011, didn't go back until 18. They went in 19. They hadn't won a regional since 2008. That's 15 years. They went to the College World Series that year. Of course, they were the College World Series runner-up that year. And, of course, won the tournament back in 1990. There's just not a lot of uh, explanation for any of this. Pretty crazy. It is. So I just I wonder about Scott Strickland a little bit. I, I just I just wonder does Georgia does Georgia really care enough? They went out and hired him away from Kent State. You know, Kent State, he took Kent State, he kicked to the College World Series in twenty twelve. But since then, I mean it's been yeah, it hadn't been great at Georgia. I mean, the first three years that Strickland was at Georgia, they had a losing record. Four years, excuse me. And you start thinking then, hey, four years. Yeah, four consecutive years they had a losing record. 18, they get it going, kind of turn it around, get to a regional. 19, they get to a regional. That 19 team should have gone to Omaha, to be quite honest with you. And then ever since then, it's just come in the middle of the road. You know, 2020, you know, canceled. They go 31-25 and 25 and miss the tournament. You know, down the stretch, they absolutely folded in 2021. We thought they would get in. They didn't. Last year, they make a regional at 35-20. and 20. They don't advance beyond that. But, again, you know, maybe that's what – maybe Georgia fans are willing to accept that. Maybe the administration there is like, whatever. All right, back to uh, now. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, 
boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. All right, Auburn, Mississippi State's opponent for this week. Took down Samford last night. You know, we did too here recently. But uh, Samford, I guess, tried to make a game of it early. It was tied 2-2 midway through the third, and Auburn hangs a three-spot up there uh, to take the lead. And then from there, kind of cruised. The game ends in the eighth. Auburn walks it off with six runs uh, in the eighth. Auburn scores seven unanswered to put this game away. But it never really felt like you know, that Auburn was in trouble by any stretch of the imagination. But a um, lot, of, lot of hits, 14 hits, 13 runs for Auburn. And it was hits up and down the order, too. It wasn't like just two or three guys had a big night. Uh, uh, LaRue went over for them. But uh, outside of that, they swung it pretty well. But uh, I look forward to previewing this, this series for you on, on Friday. But uh, five pitchers pitched for Auburn. And nobody pitched enough to hurt themselves. So we'll see the full complement of the pitching staff when we go out. We, we're, we're down there. And I look forward to it. I love Auburn's one of my favorite trips in the SEC. People are a lot like us. They're kind of like our kissing cousins from across state lines. All right, Missouri. Missouri, some drama last night in Columbia, Missouri. Missouri State goes in there and arguably should have won the game. They didn't. Perhaps they should have. Pretty crazy ball game here. Missouri State. Gets up early, one nothing. Missouri ties it in the second. Missouri State pushes back in front, 3-1. Missouri hangs a three-spot in the fourth to take the lead, and it's kind of nip and tuck the rest of the way. And all of a sudden, you look up in the ninth inning, Missouri State has a 6-5 to lead. They're going to pull this thing off in Como. And Missouri State had three errors that basically let Missouri kind of stay in the game. And lo and behold, Missouri walks it off. Pretty crazy stuff. That's what it took. It takes what it takes, right? Pretty crazy how it all how it shakes through. But uh, And, of course, we've talked about this a million times. The moment got a little bit too big for Missouri State. What do you do? You go out there and you walk the leadoff guy in the ninth. Well, it's almost, you might as well go ahead and pack up the bus then. Then it's a single, runners at first and second. And then it's an implosion. Hit by pitch to load the bases. You get a sack fly, the run scores, and then it's a single back up the middle. Walk-off winners. 
But, it, you know, again, the moment's too big, so you walk a guy, you get up a hit, you hit a guy. I mean, the game's over, guys. When you walk the leadoff guy in the ninth, he's going to score 673,000% of the time. Just how it is. Another game of interest involving two former Mississippi State opponents, Alabama and UAB. This game was played in Birmingham. And, and good for Casey Dunn for getting these SEC teams to go in there and be willing to play Birmingham. You know, we were just down there too. They've played Auburn a couple of times, beat Auburn once. Uh, but anyway, looking at the, the numbers here, interesting game. Alabama jumps out to a 2 0 lead. UAB ties it in the fifth. UAB punches one across in the seventh. Alabama rallies to tie it in the ninth to force extra innings. And then UAB walks them off in the 11th to four to three winners. Pretty crazy stuff here. You think, how, how does this happen to Alabama? You know, Aiden Moza actually pitching this ballgame. I asked it for Tata. We faced both of those guys. And the probes kid takes the loss. Pretty crazy stuff. And the kid that uh, pitched against us, Shelton, he went eight innings against Alabama. He's the kid that uh, pitched and they went over Auburn. He pitched against us. We got him on out of there. But the Shelton kid, eight innings pitched against Alabama, and that's not a bad offense. They're not great. They're okay. But this Shelton kid clearly has shown that he's not scared of SEC teams. Had three starts this year against SEC teams, and his team wins two of those three games. Not to mention, we went out there and played them, too. I mean, you know, we won the game, but it was a game. Alabama, I tell you, there, there are some holes in this order. I mean, it really is. There, there are some holes in this lineup. Uh, Jim Jarvis uh, goes 0 for 5. He's the soul of the team. Drew Williamson, 0 for 5. Six hits scattered up and down the order. Pretty crazy stuff here. So, big win for UAB. Tough loss for Alabama, who's 26-12 and 12 and 6-9 in the SEC. Again, I, I still expect Alabama to hang in there a little bit, but they're a mediocre team. They're not better. Everybody's like, oh, they're going to be better this year. They're not better. And that's the problem that you got if you're Bohannon. You're at the end of a talent cycle. you got to hit that portal hard because you're going to lose most of your lineup. An absolute bloodletting in Asheville last night. And not the way you'd expect. Indiana State, the fighting Larry Birds, go into Nashville and knock Vanderbilt around. Number four, Vanderbilt getting beat at home 10-2 by Indiana State. Raise your hand if you saw that coming. I didn't. And this was a game, too, that, hey, early part of the ball game, nobody scoring. And then the next thing you know, you look up in the sixth inning. It is nine to nothing, Indiana State over Vanderbilt. Vandy finally scores in the seventh. Both teams out of run in the ninth. Big, big win for Indiana State. Pretty crazy, right? Strike up the Sycamores. Going in there, you talk about a program defining win. Now that's it. But this Vanderbilt lineup, when we played them. You know, we, we were not pitching this thing well, but they were swinging it really well. You know, they beat up on Ole Miss. They beat up on us. And you think, okay, hey, these guys are great. They got a running start into it, but offensively, not good this past uh, Tuesday night. So it would be interesting to see, again, with Tennessee, if Tennessee can go in there and make this game competitive. But I, I still like Vanderbilt in the series. But uh, looking up down their order, there's six hits. 
And, uh, of course, it's scattered throughout the order, but Shrek has a couple of them. Outside of that, a lot of their regulars go over on the night. And Vandy pitched it, you know, probably one of these, uh, you know, hey, everybody's going to get a couple innings. They had some dudes get rocked. Horn goes two innings, three hits, seven runs, six earned. Crazy. Gives up a home run, too. Wild times. We almost, we thought for a while there, there may be uh, an upset dotted Arkansas State. The fighting Tommy Raffos gave Ole Miss all they wanted and then some. I remember when I saw their scores pop up, I said, if Ole Miss loses this ball game, it's going to be a lot of happy Mississippi State people, but also, too, some extremely angry Ole Miss people. And there's still people today that you get on social media upset the fact they struggled in this ballgame. Ole Miss wins at 6-3, but I tell you, look up early. It was 2-0 Red Wolves in the fourth. Ole Miss ties in the top of five, and immediately Arkansas State answers, takes the lead back. Ole Miss ties it in the sixth and finally pushed ahead uh, in the seventh, and then that was it. Ole Miss bullpen kind of took over from there. Uh, they went at 6-3. Uh, looking at the numbers here, it, it's incredible. You know, we had uh, we had a lot of trouble with the top of the order with Ole Miss over the weekend. Yeah, the, the top three hitters yesterday for Ole Miss, 0 for 13. Yeah, Groff, Gonzalez, Harris, a combined 0 for 13 uh, in the ballgame. Uh, Kemp Alderman, 2 for 5, and then Calarco, 2 for 4. But um, and, and Peyton Schott, yeah, give him credit. Uh, not hitting SEC pitching, but did it really well here against Arkansas State, a three-for-five ninth. They probably don't win the game without him. Still had a couple punch-outs. But, uh, so congratulations, Pate. You know, maybe I guess if you had a year left, you transfer to that league, kill it out there. But Ole Miss wins, 6-3. to three. Central Arkansas gave Arkansas a bit of a uh, scare for a while. You know, the, the, the true Black Bears. We had them in a regional. Was it 2012, I guess it was? But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty solid baseball program considering you know, the state of Arkansas. You'd think Central Arkansas, Arkansas State, would be uh, comparable. I think Central Arkansas in the last several years probably has uh, you know, the better run of things. But they gave Arkansas some trouble, though. It's, it's, only a, it's a 3-1 ball game in the middle innings, and then Central Arkansas adds a pair in the seventh to tie the game. In Fayetteville, it's 3-3. And give Arkansas credit, they responded immediately, which is what Dave Van Horn's teams do. A lot of, a lot of mental toughness in that Arkansas order, for sure. So they ended up winning the ballgame 6-3. But kind of messed around for a while. And again, I think this Arkansas team is really good. I don't think they're great. And I think that's the thing with Dave Van Horn. I think with the injuries they've had on the pitching side, he's had to challenge everybody. And they responded. I mean, they're ranked fifth in the country. They're 30 and 7, 11 and 4 in the SEC. I think Arkansas can be had, though, on any given weekend. Big weekend, last weekend, obviously, against Tennessee, and there's no, blood, no love loss between Patello and Dave Van Horn. And again, I think it speaks to the, kind of the culture of Arkansas. All right, Charleston Southern actually hung in there for a while for, with South Carolina, too. Were you aware of this? Yeah, South Carolina, really good team, obviously as we know, but you look up here and in the middle innings, it is four to four, Charleston, Southern, South Carolina. And then uh, the Gamecocks take over late, scoring two and a six, two and a seven, two and eight to put this thing away. But, um, hey, 
Seven heads for Charleston Southern, 10 for South Carolina. And, and for South Carolina, you're like, let's just win the game. They do. 31 to 6, excuse me, 31 6 overall, 10 and 4 in the SEC. Certainly uh, trending towards a potential top eight national seed are the Gamecocks. And that surprises me to be And it shows, again, the strength of the portal. All right, final game that we're going to talk about. And this is one that uh, helps Mississippi State on the RPI, even though we dropped a couple spots last night. We're going to get that a little bit later in the show. But the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana, a lot of people, and it's so interesting to you going back looking at the, uh, the, the, the games from last night, a lot of people were so down on us. Oh, the, you know, we didn't just go destroy UL. The very, very solid mid-major team, UL, goes into Baton Rouge and beats the Tigers in Alex Box. Tigers now lost two of four and could have easily lost three of four. Something's not right with this LSU team. Everybody's like, oh, they're going to win it, hands down. They're going to just roll through this. They're not rolling through it. They're, they should be, but they're not. But UL has the uh, four to three lead after three and intact on four, two, two runs in the fourth, two in the seventh, win the game. 8-5, LSU tries to rally in the ninth, a couple runs there. But 14 hits, nothing fluky about that for the Cajuns. LSU booted the ball around a little bit too, allowed them to kind of stay in the ball game. But um, all the runs that were scored, 7 of 8 were earned. But, uh, yeah, hey, good for the Cajuns. And, of course, State has beaten the Cajuns, so that helps. LSU to go. But uh, not a great night. Fells you. And again, who's say, well, midweeks don't matter. Yeah, yes, they do. When you're you're trying to be the over, number one overall seed, they do. You can't afford to drop RPI killers. And uh, LSU actually drops behind Wake Forest last night in the RPI. And we're going to talk about RPI a little bit later in the show and kind of what needs to happen for Mississippi State. But uh, a wild night in the league, as you guys are well aware, some, uh, some big series coming up uh, for everybody, really. And uh, look real quickly, looking uh, tonight, the only game tonight is Prairie View and Texas A&M. It's the only game on the schedule tonight. And then we get into uh, Thursday, Arkansas and Georgia get started on Thursday, as do Florida and South Carolina. That series in Columbia is going to be nuts, man. It absolutely is. Number three versus number six. The winner of this Stays in the race with Vanderbilt to win the SEC. Going to be nuts. Absolutely nuts. I know you guys are looking forward to that. Looking for some college baseball to watch tomorrow. That'll be on ESPNU. And, of course, Vanderbilt goes to Knoxville. And uh, Texas A&M goes to Lexington this weekend. And, of course, we go to Auburn, Alabama's at Missouri, and LSU goes to Oxford. I won't be the least bit surprised if Ole Miss takes a game from LSU. Now, if Ole Miss gets swept, they, oh, there will be blood in the streets. Because all of a sudden, 18 games in the SEC play, Ole Miss would be 3-15. and 15. Mike Bianco, a former Tiger, I, I think Ole Miss will find a way to take a game. I don't see Ole Miss winning the series, and we'll talk about that more on the, on the Friday show. But if LSU goes up there and sweeps Ole Miss, you think that there, things are bad right now in Oxford? Now, of course, if you're Bianco, you're sitting back, you're just like, whatever. I won an AFL championship last year, signed this big extension. Uh, you guys want me to retire, then you better you you guys better give me some money. Uh, but 
it's uh, it's tough. And again, almost I've read some people that said, hey, you know, we all we did was prolong the ineligible by winning an AFL championship. Guys, you'd never take an AFL championship off the board, period. Even if Bianco never won another game for the length of his contract, it still doesn't erase the fact that you won an AFL championship. But uh, be prepared. It's going to be a wild weekend in the SEC. It always is. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair, my friend, your friend, a friend to all. Blair, friend in the mortgage industry. And it, it, that's the thing I have loved about life, man. It's like the older that I get, and, that, and which beats the alternative, right? The older that I get, the more I've, I've learned how important it is to have friends that specialize in maybe industries that I'm not as familiar in. And I'm sharing this reference with you. I, I, I pick and choose who I do business with, right? I've had some people that re- reached out before and said, hey, you know, listen, I'd like to get in that spot, you know. It's like, no, it's Blair's spot. Because I want to make sure that what I'm representing to you is of quality. And that's what you get with Blair Chandler. Go to closewithblair.com. Again, that's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And maybe you need to refinance a loan. Maybe you need a second mortgage. Maybe you need a HELOC. Maybe you need to buy a home. Blair can help you with all that. Works at Fairway Mortgage, very reputable mortgage lender. Blair's top 1% close ratio in the country back-to-back-to-back years. It's an incredible experience for you and a chance for you to do something responsible, whether it's consolidating some debt or, again, kind of capturing the dream of home ownership. We talk about generational wealth. Put your money in a big house. And, again, that's closeofblair.com. Let him know that you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. The best way to do that is to call or text him today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Reach out to Blair. Let him know. And Blair has closed several loans for boneyard listeners. We wouldn't continue to do this. So Blair's top 10. So uh, you guys love covers, man. And uh, the covers list the other day was great. And I had a couple people reach out, including one of my good friends that I used to work with. We talked about, you know, you've never done Metallica covers. Now, here is my thing about that. I don't like a lot of the... uh, these albums, you know, where it's like, hey, it's a collection of other bands performing their favorite songs of your favorite band. I, I don't always like those. I did like the Kiss one they did, like Garth Brooks did Hard Luck Woman, which was amazing. I liked that one a lot. But I don't like a lot of these other ones. So this, these are songs that Metallica has covered. You know, here about a year ago, we did one, the songs that Tesla had covered. Tesla's done a couple of... Uh, cover albums Metallica has two it all started back with Garage Days Revisited the 598 EP I remember just like it was yesterday going into Camelot Music and they said if the record company tries to charge you the record store charges you more than 598 steal this cassette yeah that's what it said and I remember Specifically, reading in Rolling Stone magazine, some some stores were charging five ninety nine and seeing cassettes that were being stolen. Crazy, over a penny. But Metallica has done a lot of uh, they did you know Garage Days re revisited, and so we're gonna pull some of these together. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, 
you know, a lot of times we joke and all about, you know, hey, my list is right, yours is wrong. When it comes to Metallica, the thing that I have learned is uh, there are not many bands that have a more passionate fan base. Even about covers. Like even last night, texting back and forth with my buddy, he's like, oh, this has got to be on the list. This has got to be on the list. This is great. You know, it's like there just aren't a lot of people that are indifferent about Metallica. Either they don't like them or they love them. My wife didn't like them. Don't tell her, but I love them. I do. I don't know if they'll ever be able to drag her to a show, though. I remember, like, she came, I was somewhere, I traveled somewhere, and uh, I can't remember, maybe it was in Omaha. I think it was Omaha. And uh, I hadn't packed enough clothes, and uh, I didn't want to go to the laundry just yet, and so I went out and bought some more clothes. Yeah, I was in Omaha. And uh, I got a Metallica shirt while I was there. You know how it is. And so I come back home, and all of a sudden she's doing laundry. What's a Metallica shirt doing in here? Like I had done something wrong, right? Right? Not like it was some girl shirt. It was a Metallica shirt. But I had to answer for it. But I am my own person. So we're doing Metallica covers today. So here we go. All right, number 10 on the list. And one of the reasons that I put this one in is because Metallica has actually covered a handful of songs from Motorhead. And my favorite Metallica cover of a Motorhead song is Overkill. And, of course, it's a little fuzzy and everything else. The tone is a little bit erratic. It's kind of in the same vein as Motorhead. It's Metallica, but it's kind of true to the original in some respects. So I dig it. Okay, number nine is a killer track from a band many of you probably never heard of. Uh, Metallica covered Sweet Savage's Killing Time. Now, Sweet Savage, you'd say, but Steve, do I know anybody in that band? Well, in fact, you do. Vivian Campbell who was in Dio, and eventually in Whitesnake, and then in Def Leppard, was kind of the driving force behind the band Sweet Savage. And they were a little bit heavier. I mean, look at the rest of his stuff. You know, he, he kind of got progressively poppier as his career went along. But Killing Time, a great track that you're probably unfamiliar with. Now, speaking of Killing, your number eight song that Metallica covered is from a band called Killing Joke. It's a song called The Weight. Not to be confused, not to be confused with uh, the weight from the band. Yeah, different song, different, different for sure. But uh, I love the guitar on it. I think Kirk absolutely kills it on this. And that's the thing too. It's like I love the little Metallica nuance. It's like they, they take these songs and they kind of make them their own, but not in a disrespectful way, which, which takes us to number seven. Probably the most improbable song that Metallica would have ever covered. It's Leonard Skinner's Tuesday's Gone, and uh, they just they, they line up and do it acoustically, and it's very different hearing James Hetfield trying to kind of sing like uh, Ronnie Van Zant. It's a different deal. But I think they pull it off. I, I don't like it as much as some of the other covers, obviously, which is why it's number seven. And I'm a guy too, you know, call me an old guy or whatever. It's fine. I am from the 1900s. There's just some bands I don't like to hear their band, their songs covered. I just, I don't like it. And Leonard Skinner is one of those. And maybe it's because of reverence for those who passed away and now the entire band is gone. But it's just, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't always sit well with me. I mean, like people are like, but Steve, you're a Shinedown fan. And I am, and I like their version of Simple Man. I don't like it as much as the original. I think Brent kind of oversings it a little bit. I'm glad that they, the thing about the Shinedown stuff is it brings, uh, 
some classic songs kind of into the discussion for a new generation of fans. Maybe you hadn't heard Simple Man, but because you love Shinedown, you're like, oh, well, who is this? And it gets people into Skinner. But anyway, I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. Tuesday's gone. Number six, a song that I like, I like an awful lot, kind of a B-side from the Black Sabbath catalog. It's Sabra Cadabra, and I love, love, love the guitar tone on this one. It almost makes me wish Metallica wasn't been a thrash band, right? I mean, it's like I know some of you are like, Steve, it's sacrilegious. I think Metallica has a killer job on this track. Number five, this is a song when it got released, a lot of people thought was an original song from Metallica. It's not. But it's killer. It's Bread Fan. And it was originally recorded by one of the first heavy metal acts of all time. They actually went out and um, they toured with Ozzy on the Blizzard of Oz tour. It's a band called Budgie from across the pond there in the United Kingdom. About a dozen albums for these guys. But they were heavy, heavy, heavy before it was kind of cool. Like a lot of people think Black Sabbath... And then Budgie was kind of on the heels of that, too. They were a heavier band. They played a little bit faster. And uh, Metallica's covered a handful of their songs. I think three Budgie songs. But Bread Fan is one of those songs, the composition on it kind of gets a hold of you a little bit. You think, hey, this is something a little bit different. And you can see why a band like Budgie had some longevity because of the fact they weren't just a flash in the pan. All right, number four. Another song that a lot of people thought was a Metallica original when it first debuted years and years ago. It's Am I Evil, originally recorded by Diamond Head. And it is one of those songs, too, that is probably perfect for Metallica to cover. It meets exactly the requirements for what a Metallica audience would expect. And if we were going to put some of these lists together, you know, about songs better than the original, Metallica's version of Am I Evil is better. All right, now we're down to the final three. Now, this may be where we have a bit of a split in the road. But I think we're probably all going to agree with number one. Number three, back to the Electra Rubiat Celebration album. And, of course, Motley and Metallica and Faster Pussycat, those bands were all on Electra. And so what they did is they went, the record company says, hey, we're going to release this celebration of us. And so we'd like for you guys to cover a song from another Electra artist for this big album release. Metallica decided to go with a Queen track, Stone Cold Crazy, and they absolutely kill it. Now, I think the vocal is a little bit off. I mean, and to be fair, how do you expect James Hetfield to pull off Freddie Mercury? That, that's not a slide at James. It's completely two different singers and two styles of singing. James does a good job here. But the music, the musicianship on this is absolutely killer. I love the song Stone Cold Crazy, the original. I think Metallica has a really good version of it. That's why it's number three on your list today. Stone Cold Crazy, originally recorded by the great Freddie Mercury and Queen. Number two. Another band that we, uh, we lost Phil Lynott far too soon. He was another guy who was an alcoholic. And uh, every time that we uh, play The Boys Are Back in Town at Duty Noble Field, I turned to Mike Nemeth and I said, Mike, this is one of the greatest songs of all time. He doesn't agree. He's wrong. That's not on our list, but it is a Thin Lizzy song. It's Whiskey in the Jar. 
And I love Metallica's version of it, too. I absolutely love their version of it. I, I think the guitar on it is absolutely phenomenal. That's one thing about Metallica I think a lot of people don't recognize. The guitar harmonies are sweet. Number one, though, and you probably know before I even say it, the video was phenomenal. If you've never watched it, I encourage you to go do it. Pull up on your phone as soon as the show's over and watch a video. Very powerful, very dark. It's Metallica's version of the Bob Seger classic, Turn the Page. Now, there's something about Seger's voice that always kind of draws me in. And it really doesn't matter what song it is. I don't know if it's just that familiar rasp he has or the fact that he sings with such authenticity. Bob Seger has always been one of my favorites. My uncle, when I was just a kid back in the 1900s, turned me on to Bob Seger and his Silver Bullet Band, and I've been a fan ever since. And Metallica absolutely, absolutely represents this song in an incredible way, and again, kind of made it their own. And I think in many respects, it was a great thing for Bob Seger, as we discussed too, with you know Leonard you know, covering Skinner, uh, excuse me, Metallica covering Skinner, Pardon me, Leonard always covered Skinner. Uh, my point being is that I think a lot of people got turned on to Bob Seger in a new generation because of Metallica covering the song. So nice publicity and promotion of the Bob Seger classic. But turn the page. Great vocal. I love the edge. I think all you guys do too. So here you go. Top 10 Metallica covers. I think you're going to enjoy the list. And again, there's some people out there that don't like Metallica. And that's okay too, I guess. I guess. I'm married to one. Uh, but all that being said, one of America's greatest rock bands kind of showing some humility and covering some of their greatest influences. I'd love to know the story about Tuesday's Gone. Maybe we'll look that up and figure that out. Why they decided to go with Tuesday's Gone. I wonder whose decision that was. But uh, again, I, I love all these songs, some more than others, which is why we rank them 10 to 1. But if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Best way to do that is on social media. Roy's actually set up an email account for us, too. And uh, we might just start sharing it that way. Because I've had many people that have, like, I've seen out. And they goes, well, Steve, I don't do social media. And I get it. So we're going to, maybe we'll just set up an email account. To get, we, we, Roy has set up an email so he and I can correspond and share files and things like that. Um, so maybe we share that with you. For those of you that are social media less. But uh, we appreciate your ideas and we're happy to do them. And this is one, obviously, that uh, was new. I mean, like we've had some other things kind of uh, in the queue. And this one popped up and I was like, you know, we've never done this. And Roy went and checked the archives and said, no, we haven't. So here we are. And I'd remind you, too, if you haven't uh, checked it out, Metallica, brand new album just dropped, too. And, uh, you know, I hung out with my buddy, uh, Brian Jones. Last weekend, and uh, he loves it. 72 seasons. It released April 14th. So we're just five days into release, and uh, 12 songs on the album. We have uh, we've got a couple of, uh, you know, Lux Eterna was released early. We've heard that several times. If Darkness Had a Son also was released. And so the first two tracks are killer. But uh, I thought it was perfect timing, the fact that Metallica drops a new album, and then we're going to do Metallica covers. So... Uh, you're welcome, James, Lars, uh, and um, Kirk. Nevertheless, uh, let's get on the rest of the show. And again, thanks as always to uh, Close the Blair for sponsoring the top 10 list.
All right, next segment of the show brought to you as always by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution doing a great job for a great fan base for many, many years. Great service, great selection, great pricing, the best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in and on universe right here in Starkville, Mississippi, as it should be at Campus Bookmart. Go by and see their smiling faces. You'll be glad you did. They'll treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. Bully Shop's been completely renovated. Everything is upstairs now. They're no longer in the textbook business, which has allowed them to expand their selection. So if you're looking to decorate your home, your car, your pet, update your wardrobe with new Mississippi State merch, look no further than Campus Bookmart. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Again, it's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. You know what it stands for. It's beautiful Steve Robertson. Easy to remember. Easy, easy, easy to remember. Okay. All right, now on this show here a couple weeks ago, I told you guys it seemed like the best we could hope for is to make the SEC tournament. Well, State has now put themselves in a position that could make an NCAA regional. So what needs to happen? Well, I've done some research. I've talked to a few people. One could make a case. If you win 12 SEC games, you've got an RPI in the top 30, perhaps top 25, you're probably going to get in. Now, 13 wins in an RPI in the top 30, certainly in the top 25, you're more than likely getting in. 14, you're definitely getting in. So, now, the Warren Nolan College Baseball RPI, I've been told for years, the algorithm that Warren Nolan uses is the closest one to the actual NCAA RPI model. And so that gives us a pretty good idea of kind of what they're looking at. They'll, they'll begin releasing their stuff. Now, last night, with all the carnage, State Acts, we dropped two spots in the RPI, but we're 26. So we're safe right there, assuming we win the games we need to within the league. I mean, you're not going to win 10 games in the league and make the tournament. That's not going to happen. So we got to win no less than 12, probably need to get to 13. And certainly if we got to 14, we'd feel great. I don't expect that to happen. Now, Warren Nolan's predictive model actually has State going 15-15. and 15. I don't agree with that. Of course, that's a computer, you know, making predictions. But nevertheless, State right there on the cusp of making the tournament. We obviously would be a road regional. We had a discussion. People said, well, now that hosting's back. No, no, hosting's not on the table. State would need a near unprecedented run in order to make that happen. So best case scenario for us is to get in as a, as a three, possibly a two. I would suspect a three somewhere. And I don't think anybody would want Mississippi State in their regional as a three. You start looking at that and you think, hey, you know, three versus two matchup. You win that ball game and all of a sudden you probably got to play a one in game number two. You win that one, you're probably going to get to a super. And so it's not inconceivable to think State could make a good postseason run here. So let's kind of look, you know, at the RPI. Of course, uh, State holds a tiebreaker when it comes to seeding in the SEC tournament, you know, against Alabama and Ole Miss at this point. If you win this weekend at Auburn, which we should, 
It's not going to be easy, but we should. You would hold a tiebreaker with Auburn. All right, State's at 26 in the RPI. And we're going to get to strength of schedule a little bit later. Alabama, a team that State has defeated two out of three, is 24 in the RPI. I do expect that to change. I think State will, will pass them in the weeks to come. State does not play Missouri, but they're currently 23rd in the RPI. And I'm sure Steve Beezer's telling his guys, too, much like Chris Simonis, hey, guys, we find a way to get to 12-13. You got a chance. Our friends, the Campbell Camels, 22nd in the RPI. Skip ahead now, number 20 in the RPI is Southern Miss, who's 10-5 in the Sun Belt and 22-13 and overall, and State owns a win over the Golden Eagles. The Golden Eagles were actually 15th in RPI, headed into last night's action. So we need those teams, Southern Miss, to keep winning. Getting into the top 15, Indiana State, we talked about them going in and beating Vanderbilt. Indiana State's 11-1 and in the Missouri Valley and in really good position to win that league. If they don't, certainly in position to get an at-large bid. 13 in the RPI. University of Florida is 10 in the RPI. State doesn't play them, but that does help the conference RPI, to say the least. Vanderbilt, a team that swept Mississippi State, is 7 in the RPI. Arkansas, our friends in Fayetteville, 5 in the RPI. LSU, currently the number one team in the country. I've told you guys something's not right with this team. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's injuries. Maybe it's the weight of all the expectations. Maybe it's the fact that uh, when you're the hunted rather than the hunter, you get everybody's best shot. It's a big deal for a team like Louisiana Lafayette to beat LSU. It's not a big deal for LSU to beat them. LSU 9-5 in the league, 29-7 overall. They dipped behind Wake Forest, who is now third in the RPI with a 31-5 record. 14-3 in the ACC, and you think Wake Forest at this point should win that league. You get to the top of the list here. South Carolina, a team that took two out of three from Mississippi State, is number two in the RPI. The number one team right now in the RPI are the Kentucky Wildcats. Also have number one in strength of schedule. Of course, they swept Mississippi State. We're still salty about that. We should have at least taken that Friday game. But Kentucky continues to prove their doubters wrong. And the thing you look at with Kentucky, it's their ability to avoid the bad loss. 17-6 and six against quad one teams. And then 12-1 and one against everybody else. 4-0 and oh in quad two, 3-1 in quad three, 5-0 oh in quad four. So, again, avoiding the bad loss has really helped Kentucky elevate themselves to number one RPI. All right, so a lot of baseball has to be played, obviously. But, um, you know, we talk about, you know, strength of schedule and things of that nature. Uh, that factors in the RPI, as you can imagine. And uh, as it stands today, let, let's kind of run this down here as best we can. The University of Alabama, our friends there, the 21st toughest schedule. Then Tennessee is 20. Ole Miss, 19. Charlotte is 18. Georgia Southern is 17. A&M is 16. South Carolina, 15. Southern Miss, 14. Arkansas at 13. Vanderbilt, 12. Clemson, we discussed them earlier on the show, 11. Oregon is 10. Auburn, 9. Coastal Carolina is 8. Remember, they won an AFL championship in 16. North Carolina State is 7. LSU, 6. Miami of Florida, 5. Georgia, 4. 
and your Diamond Dogs, the third toughest strength of schedule in the country, Florida State two, and then Kentucky number one. So when you start plugging all these numbers in, RPI strength of schedule, the opportunity to build the resume is there for Mississippi State. You simply got to win games. Now, uh, looking at uh, the predictive model here, which is interesting to me, very interesting to me, uh, when it comes to Mississippi State, and, and again, this is a uh, this is a computer picking these games. But uh, and again, I don't I don't believe this. Okay, I I don't. Maybe perhaps some of you do. Uh, I don't. But Warren Nolan's predicted results for Mississippi State, uh, and it, it changes a lot, right? All right, they currently have us losing at Auburn. I expect us to win at Auburn. They expect us to lose the, the Trustmark Park Governor's game. I, I don't. I think Ole Miss's midweek pitching is, uh, is a challenge. They've got us taking a game at Tennessee, got us losing and getting swept by Arkansas and LSU, beating North Alabama, and then winning a series at a Now, so you start counting wins here. You got to find a way to get at least seven, hopefully eight. Warren Nolan has us, again, getting one against Auburn, two against Tennessee, uh, and then two more against A&M. So that only gets you four, right? That doesn't even get you anywhere close. So, and, and again, it's one of these things, too, that changes every single day. Uh, but, you know, they had last night, they had us going 15-15, and 15, and now they've got us winning less than 10 games. So I don't see it working out that way. Uh, I, if I had to call it today, I think State takes two of three from Auburn. I think we take a game at Tennessee. We could we get two. If, and that's the thing until you start thinking about. Where do you start picking up games, right? If you could get two against Auburn and two against Tennessee, well, that gets you to nine. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about the math there. Then you got three, three weekends left against Arkansas, LSU, and A&M. That's tough, right? But could you get four of those three? Well, I think you can beat A&M. I think you can get a game from Arkansas and LSU. And so every game matters. And so there is no margin for error for Mississippi State. But it is very much a possibility. I don't know how much of a probability it is. But Mississippi State simply got to win some games. And you start looking at non-conference games, which obviously impact the RPI. Ole Miss, that's a top to be a top twenty RPI win, right? Even though it's a non-conference game, you got to take care of that one. And then you look at Memphis, you know that's a game we obviously should win, and then North Alabama. So you shouldn't lose any of your remaining non-conference games unless it's Ole Miss, because you never know how the governor's game is going to go. You know, no, there aren't going to be many people hitting home runs at Trustmark Park, not on the college level. And that's what makes this weekend all the more important for Mississippi State. We can ill afford to go to Auburn and lose that series. We talked two weeks ago that if the turnaround was going to happen, it had to start at Alabama. It did. It continued it against Ole Miss. And now it has to continue against Auburn because that schedule in the month of May is very, very difficult. Very difficult. The good thing is, if you're Mississippi State, you guys get a chance to have a say in some of this. Those two series at Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Texas A&M, they're at Duty Noble Field. We're going to need you there. We're going to need huge crowds again. We're going to have to put pressure on the opponent. 
Going to Alex Box Stadium is always a difficult undertaking. To expect us to go take that series is asking an awful lot. OSU obviously will still be playing for seeding and a chance for a top eight national seed. We got to go down there and get a game. You got to be able to get a game against Tennessee. If you could win those, win two, it'd be amazing. And if you could get Arkansas, and I think Arkansas is gettable. I think Arkansas's pitching is a little bit different. I don't think offensively they're quite what they have been, but they're a very gritty and gutty team, which is why they're number five in the country. And long as Dave Van Horn is there, that's going to be an attribute that is going to be prevalent within that program. They're a tough team. We've beaten them before. We hadn't had the great success against them in recent years. You know, last year we'd go up there and steal that game on Sunday, thanks to Luke Hancock's uh, big RBI single late. But the path to the tournament exists, but the path is uphill all the way. And so you got to make sure you're going into Texas A&M here uh, within striking distance. We can't go into that weekend needing a sweep. Obviously, you'd love to be able to do that. I think A&M is certainly capable of coming here and getting in the game. We have not shown the ability to sweep anybody. You could make an argument, hey, should have got a game against Kentucky. That's true. Probably should have won the series against South Carolina. Probably could have swept against Ole Miss. But it is what it is. And so now you start looking at the math of all this. And you kind of work through this whole deal and you begin to think, okay, you're counting games. You can't play them all at once. And so in the event State could go in and sweep Auburn this weekend, we can. I'm not saying that I expect that. We can. I mean, this is a team that's just six games above 500. It's not like they're you know, setting the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. But you go get those three, all of a sudden that gives you eight, and then you need four or five more the rest of the way, which makes it very, very doable. It absolutely does. You think about it like that for a second. If, you, if you're able to get a sweep this weekend, then you just need to win a game in each series the rest of the way to give, put yourself in contention. That's how important this weekend is. Should we be able to get a game against Tennessee? We should. Should we be able to get a game against Arkansas? Yeah. LSU, A&M, yeah. That's not inconceivable. But if you don't sweep this weekend, then you got to find a way to get five. See, that means you got to win another series. And let's be honest about this. A team that only wins three SEC series probably has no business being in the NCAA tournament. We've dug ourselves a big hole, but we have the ability to dig out of it. That's the important aspect of every bit of this. As bad as things have gone, we have played better as of late. The problem is, is that in the month of May, our schedule gets a lot more difficult. The last series, I think you look at and say, hey, State should be favored in, happens this weekend. Now, we've talked extensively about Tennessee and the problems they're having up there. Pitching has not been up to expectations. What's Tennessee going to look like? after this weekend series against Vanderbilt. If they beat Vanderbilt, we're really going to have our hands full. And Tennessee's got some dudes, don't get me wrong. But let's say Vanderbilt goes into Knoxville and wins the series as expected, and God forbid they sweep. If they sweep, does Tennessee kind of pack it in? Maybe. That's the thing. When you push and push and push as hard as you do, and then maybe you don't, have the success you expect to have, all of a sudden doubt begins to creep in. And Lindsey Nelson Stadium is interesting. You know, it, you're going to have – it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Two of those games are at night. The ball does not travel at night in that stadium, especially the left field. 
So, you know, we're going to have to strike while the iron is hot. We're going to have to string some base hits together. You're not going to be able to be quite as reliant on the long ball there. But all of a sudden, you start thinking, hey, you, you take care of Auburn, you take care of Tennessee. What does that say about the collective psyche of the Mississippi State Bulldogs if they've won four series in a row with Arkansas coming in? So, exciting times. And only three road series left in the last five. And we'll knock one of them out today. And then it's two and two. So you've got to be able to protect your home turf and you've got to avoid getting swept on the road. I cannot overstate how important this weekend is. You guys are intelligent people. You follow college baseball extensively. You get it. And, of course, that Ole Miss midweek game, that's a nice RPI building opportunity for us too. So even though Ole Miss is bottom of the league, you know, they've played some good teams too. And that's the thing. I, don't, I rarely ever worry about RPI. Because the conference is so good, but this time of year, when we're going to be a bubble team at best, RPI matters. So you can ill afford to drop that game. We got to find a way to win those final three non-conference games. And of course, yeah, Memphis. You know they beat Ole Miss last weekend or last week. Even they're nineteen and eighteen. You know with the new staff up there, they're they're trying to make a name for themselves. That'll be one of those games we talk about where. You know a G five team comes in here. They're looking to make a name for themselves to try to build a program. But I think it's, again, an opportunity for us to kind of move forward here. But it would be nice to be back in a position that we're not having to count games. You know, just a couple of years ago, we're you know, fighting for a top eight national seed, and we go to Hoover, and even some of our own fans say we don't deserve it. Well, we do. Hoover doesn't mean anything. Like, you think, you think Hoover's going to mean anything to LSU or Vanderbilt this year? Nah, it doesn't. There's a bigger tournament. But for teams like us this year, you know, let, let's say you get 12 wins in the conference and you get to Hoover and then win a couple there, well, you legitimize yourself as a potential NCAA tournament team. So Hoover means a lot to us this year. It didn't in 21. It would have meant a lot to us last year, too. Of course, we folded and went in the tank. This year, we've got to have a lot more mental fortitude. I do think this team has an element of toughness that maybe last year's didn't. Even though you've got some younger guys, and I think you know, guy, when you're Luke Hancock and you know, some of these veteran guys and you see the job that Ross Highfield and Dakota Jordan and David Marchand are doing, you begin to think, hey, we, we can be pretty good this year. We can figure this thing out down the stretch here. And that's where Mississippi State sees itself. State has had a lot of success in recent years against Auburn. I think that's an, a big part of this thing, too, is uh, the mental aspect of all of this. We've won three consecutive series against them, but we have done a really good job at their place. Now, part of that is because of the fact that we have, uh, you know, so many good Bulldogs that travel. Uh, there have been some ball games that I've been there. We've had more Mississippi State fans there than we've had uh, Auburn fans. And so that needs to be the case this weekend, too. So if you're, if you're on the fence about coming to the ballgame, let me tell you, we need you to come. Right, back in 2021, Mississippi State swept this series, had a really tight ball game on Friday. We nearly gave it away. And then we went 6-5. And then the other two games, really not competitive. State wins uh, Sunday in a laugh for 19-10. Uh, so 2021, you go over there and you sweep. And obviously, you know, we didn't get a chance to play in 2020. But uh, going back uh, to 19, 
I'm flipping back through here too. And again, the schedule, remember the schedule kind of flipped on us? Yeah, we played in Starkville in 19. So um, we're supposed to be there in 20. So we went, so that had been 18. 2018, you may recall, that was um, another year we went to Omaha. One of the more improbable trips uh, to Omaha for us. But again, you, know, you kind of have Auburn's number here. Um, I guess we did in that year. We lost uh, two out of three. We beat them in the, in the Saturday game and lose uh, 7-5 on Sunday. So uh, that didn't go well for us. Obviously, in 2016, you know, we win the SEC championship that year. Coach John Cohen's last year at the helm. And that was the year, if you remember down the stretch, we, 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 in order to keep, uh, keep A&M off our heels, we had to keep sweeping people, and we did. I remember that bad game, that game one of that doubleheader against uh, against Alabama still kind of sticks out, gave them a little margin to work with. But, uh, you know, down the stretch there, after we had lost to A&M and swept Super Bulldog weekend, we take two out of three in Baton Rouge, and then we take two out of three in Tuscaloosa, sweep Missouri, and then sweep Auburn, and then sweep Arkansas to close the whole thing out. So you finish, you know, winning – the last three series in uh, sweeping f- fashion. So, again, we've had some success there in recent years. Again, two sweeps, and then we did the one series we lose. A sweep would be incredible, but we have to go win the series. To keep the probability of this thing alive, we have to. It's always possible until you're mathematically eliminated. But let's be honest, you know, the quality of the competition we're going to face this weekend, even though it's on the road, it's not going to be what we're going to see throughout much of the month of May. And again, I promise we'll, uh, we'll preview Auburn a lot more closely on the Friday show. But this is an Auburn team, in many respects, that can be had at home. You start counting the numbers here, and you start looking at what Auburn's done this year. It's not going to be a hostile environment. It's not like going to Alex Box or Ole Miss or um, – LSU, it's just not. It's a different deal entirely. But when you look through you know, what they've done this year, 21-15-1 and 15 and 1 overall because they had the tie. But they're 16-6-1 at home. You'd expect that. But they have not been good you know, away from their own ballpark, which is usually how things go. But, uh, you know, when, when I work through the SEC stuff, and, again, give them credit, too, for uh, putting together a nice non-conference. So they have Indiana and uh, USC – uh, they also swept Lipscomb like we did. But you get into the fact they, they lose two out of three to southeastern Louisiana. You get swept by Arkansas. They win the series at, Auburn, at Georgia. It was at Georgia at Auburn, excuse me. Uh, they win that series and they run out of pitching. But, again, one swing away from losing that series, too. They win seven to six in 11 innings uh, in the Friday ball game and then ran out of pitching the rest of the weekend. They shelled Florida on a Friday game, and then got shelled in the other two games. And so pitching has been a little bit of erratic, and that's kind of been their calling card. Um, and, of course, they got to Tuscaloosa last weekend and scored six, uh, seven runs in three games. So offensively a little bit challenged, and uh, we've got to make sure that we go out there and not walk the ballpark. If we go out there and throw strikes, we're winning this series. And if we manage the bullpen correctly – got an opportunity to sweep this series. And we, we really need that, but we absolutely have to have the win. And I, I'm not going to belabor the point. You all understand kind of what's at stake here. But if we go out there and lay an egg this weekend, 
all this talk about making a late run to push in the tournament, the best we're going to be able to hope for is to go to the to go to Hoover, maybe win a game or two. We would probably be in a situation, barring an unprecedented run, that we'd have to go to the SEC tournament and win it. That's how important this weekend is. And you all know it. So I think it's important to uh, come to the ballpark. If you're on the fence about coming, come to the ballpark this weekend. Plains and Park's a really cool place. It looks a little bit unfinished, but it's a really cool place. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. Whether it be your primary residence, your second home, or perhaps an investment property, maybe you want to build a house and uh, Airbnb it out. I don't know your needs, but Portico has a plan for you. A wonderful residential development. It's very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12-light going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You pass that road a million times. That could be the road home. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really anything in between. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate you. Now, phase one's completely sold out. Your new neighbor's already enjoying the Starkville life. Phase two, underdeveloped, but now many of those homes are sold, but there's still one for you. And maybe you're not quite ready to make a move. You say, hey, Steve, we're going to wait a little bit. We'd like to be there for football season, though. You can make a plan now to do that. And maybe you're thinking, hey, this is a long-term investment for us. You can pick out a lot and have a say in your housing plans. Give our friend Brooks Bryant, a member of the 97-98 College World Series teams, part of this great, wonderful group of developers who are bringing this great place to Starkville, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Brooks can answer all your questions. You'll be glad you reached out. He's got some great Bulldog stories, too, that he can share with you. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so it's been a while since we have talked recruiting on the show. And so things have been busy as of late. Bulldogs have seen their commitment list swell from two names to five in recent days. And I've had a lot of people ask me, Steve, what are your thoughts about this? Well, I'm going to share with you what I've been able to kind of uh, ascertain here. Now, Caleb Dozier committed back on April the 10th. Now, Caleb is a guy, 6'3", 220, from Hadland School there in Hadland, Alabama. He has the, uh, the measurables that we're looking for. And if you watch his film, I think you'll be excited about that. Matt Brock doing the heavy lifting for Mississippi State. Uh, he is expected to play the Sam linebacker position at Mississippi State. He picks State over offers from Coastal Carolina, UAB, Houston, and Central Florida, among others. Now, when you watch his film, I think, you're, I think he kind of jumps off the page a little bit. And, uh, again, you worry a little bit about the quality competition. But the reality of it is this is a guy from a height, weight, and skill set standpoint that fits what we want to do. There are some good linebackers in the state of Mississippi, but um, kind of expanding the, the footprint into the border states again this year. Uh, I like Caleb Dozier. Uh, he has a 247 composite ranking of 86.83, so just under 87. A really solid three-star type guy. Uh, not considered to be a top prospect in Alabama, but he is a bit of a developmental guy. And one of the things that I give this staff a lot of credit for, and obviously the defensive staff uh, carries over, we've done a pretty good job recruiting linebackers, maybe with the exception of the first year with Matt Brock and Zach Arnett here. At first year, I think we had some misses, and uh, we're still kind of working through that. But uh, the last two years, we've stacked up really good linebacker classes. 
And I think Caleb Dozier fits. I think he fits what we want to do. And when you get a guy that size, that length, and already has that girth, the guy that already understands the possibility of and importance of the weight room, I think you can feel good about that get. So I, I like the get. Uh, I think also, too, that uh, this year in-state linebackers, there's some guys out there that I think are a little bit overvalued. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Caleb Dozier is going to have a better college career than those guys. But when it comes to linebacker position in this league, especially as blitz happy as we are, you better have some guys that can cover. You can't have guys out there that are necessarily tweeners at linebacker position. You need guys that can tackle. You need guys that can get out there in space and make plays. I think Caleb Dozier is perfectly capable of doing that. So I, I like to get. Now, we had uh, the big thing last week. Zach Arnett tweets out the GIF, the commitment GIF, and then we don't get the actual announcement from the kid. Now, things have changed a lot since I began doing this. You know, kids didn't have social media. You know, when I first started doing this, I mean, my goodness gracious, I mean, Facebook was only available to uh, college kids back then. And so now young men have kind of taken control of their own announcements. Used to, we'd have to go to a press conference and, and watch a kid commit. And for the record, I've never been to a press conference and watched a kid commit to anybody other than Mississippi State. So if you ever see me get in the car and make a trip somewhere, it's probably a hint and a half for you. It's going to be a bulldog. The young man in question was Jay Lindsay out of Patrician Academy in Butler, Alabama. 6'5", 235-pounder. Really big physical kid with great reach. Got a really good catch radius here. And people would say, but Steve, you know, hey, that's an early take. We haven't even had him in camp. All that's true. It is. But when we're tight end poor as we are, we're going to have to go out and get a couple of guys, maybe three in this class, because we've got some converted tight ends now. We've got guys uh, like Antonio Harmon, you know, that's basically a jumbo X playing tight end. And so you've moved some guys around to try to figure this thing out. This is a true tight end. And I think about the fact that, uh, you know, Joey Jones and those guys are involved in all this. You're going out and you're getting a guy that's got, you know, right now over half a dozen offers. Uh, Vanderbilt, UAB, Troy, Southern Miss, Liberty, Arkansas State have all offered. And then we take him. And you say, but, hey, why would we take him this early? Well, I think it's because it's a need within the personnel group. And, again, you might be willing to take a little bit of a reach at this point. And, listen, I've watched this film. I think the guy's capable. Uh, but he is a developmental guy. You know, my, my whole attitude about this is, um, you know, it'd be one thing if we were already out on the road in the spring evaluation period and we'd had him in camp. I would feel a lot better about, about the commitment. And once we see him in camp, I'm sure we'll all feel a little bit better about him. But uh, you watch the film, and I think you kind of understand – what the intrigue and interest level in him is. Mike Schmidt, of course, uh, the lead recruiter here. And uh, the way I look at that, too, is that's a guy, too, that's involved in your offensive line, so he understands kind of what's expected in this scheme, what Matt Matt Barbe wants to do with a tight end position. So, again, I'm okay with the get. I think he probably would have been there in July, though. But when you look around the state, you think, are there any true tight ends – within the state this year. I don't know that there are. Now, if this young man had this offer sheet and he played in the state of Mississippi and you guys had a relationship with him and you knew him, you'd say, hey, this is a good get. I'm glad that we got him. If he was at Tupelo High School and he had this offer sheet, nobody would be questioning this. But I think people are like, well, why would we take a tight end this early? I think it's just because of our needs at the position. And again, you go watch his film, he's perfectly capable. 
and obviously, you know, AISA football in Alabama is not necessarily the best. But when you've got a guy that fits the measurables that you like, that is a true tight end rather than a converted tight end, and we had, we don't necessarily have any tight ends at this point. You know, we'll have uh, have one enroll here from Georgia here soon. Ryan Gode gets here, but uh, I'm okay with the take here. I think the film is good enough, and I think our needs at the position are emergent, so it makes sense to me. Now, Matt Mayfield, that's the most recent commitment, made his commitment uh, here just a couple days ago. Now, if you watch his film, I think you can feel really good about him. You know, he's at uh, Beauchene High School down there in Arnoldville, Louisiana. Claims offers from Cincinnati, Grambling State, and Louisiana. Now, here's what I will point out to you about him. While he may be an unknown to many of our fans, he's not an unknown to your staff. Mayfield attended junior day. Mayfield got offered in February. Chad Bumpus is the lead recruiter. My attitude about that is this. If Chad wants a guy, so do I. It's not like Chad has spent his entire college coaching career at Austin P. Chad's a guy that obviously worked out with the SEC receivers. He leaves Austin P. goes to Utah. You know, a couple Pac-12 championship games under their belt. Uh, Utah obviously did a really good job in the receiving game under Chad's tutelage. And so if Bumpus wants him, I want him too. Yeah, again, my question with him is, is why take him now? Now, the question may, the answer to that question may be, well, this is a young man that uh, may be on the verge of blowing up. And then the question you ask yourself, you know, hey, what if LSU offers him? Well, I'm just going to go and tell you now, if LSU offers him, we're not going to get him. And if we waited for LSU to offer him before we jumped in the boat, then we'd be in a much better worse situation. He wouldn't even consider us. But now you have the opportunity, because I do think LSU is going to pass on him, to go get a player. It's a good player. Watching this film, you kind of see some things out there that are very intriguing. Again, my only question with this is the timing of it, the timing of it. Now, one of the things that I've always been a big proponent of, and I think we've had some people uh, during the Leach tenure that maybe were a little reluctant to take a commitment because of the fact we didn't trust her on evaluation. And so... If this is a player that Chad Bumpus has evaluated, and clearly he has as he is a lead recruiter, then I'm going to basically, hey, I'm going to go along with the fact that this is the guy we wanted to hire. We wanted Chad Bumpus to be here. And so if Chad has gone through the evaluation process, has gotten to know this young man and his family, and Chad says, hey, this guy can come up here and help us win Southeastern Conference ball games, I'm going to defer to Chad. That's my attitude about it. Now, and I'll be honest with you, there's not a lot of great receivers in the state this year. And again, if Matt Mayfield played at Stone County High School or played at Biloxi High School, you'd be like, hey, we got to go get him. And again, a guy from a border state, and that's where we have got to do well in state and in the border states, so we go take him. But again, I don't know that I would take him as early, but I don't know the full, you know, expanses of his recruitment. I don't know who all is on him. I don't know if there's a connection with Chad. I don't know if perhaps if Chad, uh, you know, has a good relationship down there with those guys. Kyle Shecksnatter, of course, uh, also involved uh, in this situation. But I watch the film and I say, yeah, this kid can play. He can play. 
but I, I don't know that we're going to be able to fill our needs at receiver in state this year. I know J.J. Harrell is a guy that we're on, and I don't think that recruitment is over by a long shot, even though he's been uh, committed to Tennessee for a little while, talks up Tennessee regularly, and uh, the way that they have scored offensively the last couple of years. I can see the intrigue in Tennessee. But I do expect Mississippi State and Ole Miss to be involved with J.J. Harrell until the very end of his recruitment. I think he's a guy, too, that wants to see uh, what the Mississippi State offense looks like. That's the thing. There's only so much you can say, right? And it's one thing to say, hey, this is what we ran at Appalachian State. This is you. Well, that's cool, but that's not even the same group of personnel. That's not even the same uniform, right? So once you have a chance to see what we're going to do, I think you can begin to kind of maybe turn his ear a little bit. And so I think State will remain after J.J. Harrell. But, uh, again, not a ton of great receivers in the state this year. And I don't know how many we're going to sign. I would say at least three. And that being the case, I don't know if we can find three SEC-quality receivers in the state of Mississippi. Not for the 2024 cycle. So, again, I support the decision to take them. I just kind of question the timing. That's, that's my only issue with it. But at the end of the day, if you are an evaluator and you're a recruiter, you have to trust your own evaluation. You can't say, okay, well, since LSU, Alabama, and Auburn offered, then we should offer too. And then you get lost in the mix. Because, I mean, and let's be honest about it. I'm not poor-mouthing things here, but if you're Mississippi State, you're fighting from behind from the beginning. And that was one of the things that I gave Ed Orgeron a lot of credit for when he was at Ole Miss, especially when it came to in-state recruiting, is they would be the first offer. Then all of a sudden they come to your campus, they have a great time, they buy the T-shirt, and then like two months later, then Mississippi State would offer. Well, by that time, the kids already decided, well, you know, where was Mississippi State when Ole Miss offered? They weren't even interested in me until Ole Miss did. And so I, I like being the early offer, especially with in-state kids. But if you're not willing to take them, why are you offering them? There was a bunch of that, too, right? It was the big meme going around. You know, it was almost like, uh, dear resident, you two have an offer from Ole Miss football. I remember those memes going around. We used to call them FARCs back then, F-A-R-K. But people would take these things and put them out there. But I, I'm always uh, kind of a trust a staff guy. But I would feel a little bit better about these last couple of commitments if we had actually had them in camp. And, of course, hey, you get them in the camp but they don't perform, you can always drop them. And you, and you hate to ever enter a relationship thinking about the potential end. And you think, hey, this is going to be a forever thing. You're going to come in here and get your college degree and, and meet your significant other and, and uh, go off and have a great life. You, know, you hate to ever take a kid that you're going to drop. But – if the evaluation that we have is not verified by a good camp showing in a good senior season, we're not going to keep a kid just because, hey, we, we want to keep our word. You know, it, at the end of the day, it's about winning football games. But I'm okay. Uh, I'm okay with where we are. I would like to have a couple more in-state commitments. And, uh, you know, uh, Eccles at Houston, that's one that's been leaning states away for a while. Ole Miss has kind of gotten in the mix a little bit. Uh, that may prolong the process some. I like Alex Foster at Greenville St. Joe. I really believe State's going to get him sooner rather than later. And that, that may be the summer. But I, I like him a lot too. I think the most important thing to learn today is there is a ton of talent in the state of Mississippi. But there's not a ton at the offensive skill side of things. There's a ton of defensive talent. This is probably and arguably the best 
defensive line crop that we've had in my career from top to bottom. There are a ton of talented defensive linemen. We're not going to get them all. Some are going to go to Mississippi State. Some are going to go to Ole Miss. Some are going to go out of state. You're not going to get them all. And then what's going to happen is, you know, we're going to get on the message boards and be like, I don't understand. You know, there's probably a handful of guys. Like, we, we would take Alex Foster now. We, we would take Amarion Franklin now. Uh, we certainly would take Hibbler now. And you start thinking, well, how many of these guys are we going to take? It's probably going to be a, a four DL class. One of those may actually come out of the portal because you've got some veteran guys that are going to move on. There's a bit of a talent gap between uh, some of the younger guys and these guys that are veterans now. But we're not going to sign them all. And so your favorite player, your favorite prospect, may end up playing against you in the Egg Bowl. And that's not necessarily because of the fact that we got out-recruited. It boils down to a numbers game, you know, for sure. But I think it's three or four high school linemen and then potentially a transfer in there uh, from the portal, just kind of depending on needs, probably maybe even an interior guy in that respect. But I'm not, I'm not concerned about recruiting. I know some of our fans are kind of panicked or whatever, and I would just encourage it not to. It's April. We're eight months away from National Signing Day. I know you look up and it's like, hey, well, we don't have enough in-state commitments. You know, I would probably agree with that too. But I think what's happened too is I think some of these guys, you want to see them in person before you take them, which again kind of goes to my point, you know, like the Mayfield thing. You know, it's like, again, we're kind of wide receiver poor in the state this year, and maybe that's where Bumpus is like, hey, let's go get him. And again, you can't sit here and then beg and beg and beg for us to hire Chad Bumpus, and then you're going to go second-guess him on the recruiting trail. If Chad wants a guy, I want the guy too because I trust Chad. Chad knows what it takes to be a wide receiver in the Southeastern Conference. Chad also has not just have lived in the maroon bubble his entire coaching career. He understands what a Power 5 wide receiver looks like, he understands the attributes they have to have to be successful at this level. So, again, we're going to defer to his expertise, and I'm going to support Chad and his decision here. And, again, back to Jay. I mean, you know, the tight end. You know, we've got to go get some tight ends, period. We do. And I saw some people comparing uh, Jay to uh, Gus Wiley. I, I don't agree with that at all. You know, Gus is a guy that became kind of a flex tight end. You know, we, uh, we basically took him away from Southern Miss. But – uh, he was a guy that had some concussion issues and didn't get to finish out his career, but he was a bulldog through and through. And uh, But, again, he was kind of a converted guy, kind of a flex guy. You know, Jay is more of a natural tight end, can play the attached position. He's probably the guy that's going to put on, you know, 30 pounds here uh, within 18 months. And so, again, I'm okay with the take. I trust the staff. And, again, the thing that I think you go back to, too, is you look at trends, right? Every decision that – Zach Arnett has made since the moment that he got hired to be your coach has come up aces. And so I think about navigating through the difficulty of Mike Leach's death, holding your roster together, preventing players from being poached, getting Xavion Thomas and Tulu back out of the portal, winning the bowl game, getting a top 25 class, you know, at some point, I just got to say, you know what? I'm just going to trust the fact that Zach Garnett knows what's best for Mississippi State football. And that's the thing that I would tell you. Trust me, Zach Garnett understands what's at stake here. This is Zach's chance. This is a career-defining moment in Zach Garnett's career. He is going to prove that, hey, either I'm a career DC or I'm capable of being a head coach, and I'm going to go with the latter. 
he could absolutely be a defensive coordinator the rest of his life and, and probably be a very high-paid defensive coordinator. But Zach's a head coach. I think Zach's going to do a great job for us. And so this has become one of these phrases that people hate to hear, but we talk about trusting the coaches. I think when it comes to these takes, you got to trust the coaches. We can't go out here and talk about what a great staff we've assembled and then second-guess them uh, with their first few commitments. You go out and you begin your class with a four-star quarterback and uh, Josh Flowers, I think you feel really good about that. And of course, uh, T.J. Lockhart, really good, good offensive line prospect from, uh, from Winona. But, again, there are so many prospects in the state of Mississippi this year. We're not going to get them all. We're not. And it's not going to be anybody's fault. There's enough to go around this year. And we're going to have a good class. We are going to have a good class, and everybody just needs to kind of relax a little bit, take a deep breath. And I'm going to recruit Nick to my core. Even though I don't always write about it every day, especially during college baseball season, I love being able to watch film and evaluate players. And uh, Neil Stopchinski, former Mississippi State talent evaluator, now part of our staff, doing a tremendous job uh, with these uh, stop reports uh, about players that you're going to find of interest. And I think it's been a great addition to our staff. So come be a member at jeanspage.com. You can get half off the annual subscription uh, right now. All right, that's going to do it for today. If you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can get all my sports books there. Uh, Bloomsville Leander, always available through amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, booksmillion.com. Stark Villains gear, you need that. Available at starkvillains.com. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.